We start out, however, just a touch south of the border. Uh, we're in Point Roberts, Washington. Brian Calder on the line. Mr. Calder is the president of the Point Roberts Chamber of Commerce. And uh, talk about hanging on by a thread today. Brian, good afternoon and welcome, first and foremost. Well, good to hear from you, Sterling. And I remember you from years ago when I was in Vancouver City Council. Well, I remember you sitting around the council table, Brian, and now you're down there uh, uh, looking out for the interests of business people in Point Roberts, one of whom, the local uh, grocery store owner, and as I understand it, it's the only local grocery store, says she's about to go under uh, if we don't get this border open. Tell us how dire her situation is, Brian, and the general conditions these days around Point Roberts. Well, uh, you're right. It's our only uh, food supply in Point Roberts. Uh, she's got a general grocery store. It's huge. It's about 40,000 square feet, which is about an acre in size, uh, has a huge inventory, and she's been supporting the Point Roberts food supply for a number of years, obviously, but in mm-hmm. the last 15 months, her business has gone down 85%. Yeah. And that means that she has been losing... $30,000 per month times 15 months and counting. Mm-hmm. And I don't care who you are, that's serious money, and you cannot sustain that in, in you know forever. And she's finally hit the ball and said, you know, like the, we have no support whatsoever from any government. Well, I was just and about to ask you about that, Brian. must get open or she has no business. Yeah, uh, and I was about to ask you about that. So so help us understand this, because we're aware, for example, and since Mr. Biden has become president, that the United States government has been sending checks somewhere between $1,400 and $2,000 to millions of Americans. And uh, now I'm not aware of the same kind of business support programs uh, that exist in the United States, but I know there are some. But are you saying at Point Roberts there are no uh, state or federal programs that offer any degree of assistance to anyone? Well, there are some programs, but they're uh, basically uh, aimed at the mainland and not specifically Point Roberts because right. we're, you know, 50 miles away from our, our bosses in Bellingham, mm-hmm. and we tend to be ignored in the best of times, never mind when we've got COVID locked down the border, they can't even get over here to, you know, do the roads and, and clean up and things that the administration would normally be in charge of on road maintenance, etc. So we've been isolated at basically every level. And we've made offers of putting it, we will pay for, we've got $50,000 raised at the chamber by uh, our membership mm-hmm. to pay for a rapid test at the border, which no okay. one's provided either side of the border. And we've been turned down. We've had our fire chief, Carlton, who's uh, got over 85% of us here vaccinated, both shots, and we're over 85%. We, he said, we will vaccinate the Canadian property owners here, of which there are about 1,800. Yes, they own indeed. 75% of our yeah. properties in Point Roberts. And the premier of the province in B.C. says no. And I, I, I'm just befuddled trying to figure out, wait a minute, we're, we're, prevent, we're, we're offering to prevent 1,000 British Columbians from getting COVID, and the premier says no. I mean, it's the Moderna and the Johnson & Johnson that we're giving out, so it's the same as the ones in the province and in Canada. 
That's absurd. Yeah, Johnson & Johnson is not yet approved by Health Canada, Brian, so that's a bit of a, a, a stumbling block. But And let me just go back to the well, fire chief for Moderna a second. Too, so you know, right. we'd, we'd go with that one. Of course, yeah. But uh, the fire chief also said, I saw him on TV the other night, he was also saying that talking about 85% of the entire population of Point Roberts being fully vaccinated, as in two shots, and yeah. he said there's only ever been one case of COVID there's- since this whole thing began. For 15 months, he's got the yeah. best. He's got the best record in North America, I would argue. And so, what threat are we to anybody? I was vaccinated with both shots by mid-March, February, and then March a month later. Uh-huh. Um, and so, with our our caseload, which is infinitesimal, thankfully, through his our fire chief's diligence, sure. and he's offering to vaccinate Canadians. Come on down. We'll give you the shot. Wait two weeks at your camp down here and go back. You should not have to quarantine going back into BC because you are not a threat to any other British Columbians. Brian, you know uh, we've uh, now there have been some minimal moves on the part of the government of Canada. The border was still not officially open until July 21st, but as of July 5th. Fully vaccinated Canadians will not have to quarantine for any period of time upon returning to the country. Would that, for example, in Point Roberts, make a difference if those Canadian property owners, fully vaccinated, of course, could get back down uh, in a week or so after July 5th? Well, if, if you look at that the way I've read that legislation, as, as vague as it is and complicated, actually, as it is, um, it says you must have a uh, COVID test on top mm-hmm. of the vaccination on your exit or entry back to Canada. And we do not have that facility allowed here. We have no right. uh, facility that the government would put up our border to allow, like they do over at the other borders, uh, Peace Arch and so forth. They've got mm-hmm. them there, but nothing here. A typical, ignored Point Roberts, the best record and the worst treatment. It's Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett on this lovely Tuesday noon hour, talking with Brian Calder, the uh, chairman, uh, I'm sorry, the president of the Chamber of Commerce in Point Roberts this afternoon. And uh, once again, Point Roberts just overlooked, and I'm, I'm being kind. I, I think the neglected is a, a slightly harsher word, and I'm sure, Brian, the residents of Point Roberts have got a lot more other words to describe the way they feel about being, well, essentially, I guess, abandoned by both uh, the state of Washington and the friends next door uh, in, in B.C. So uh, we're now exactly one month away. One month from today will be July 21st. And that will be the official reopening of the border, say many. Now, there's enormous pressure, Brian, from the United States government, from members of Congress, from the Department of Homeland Security and lots of chambers of commerce like yours, uh, putting pressure on Washington to get that border. In fact, we've got Congress people from New York saying just open it unilaterally to heck what they say about it on the other side, which, of course, is ridiculous. But. Are you convinced, at least, or comfortable with the government of Canada being up to speed by a month from now and getting that Blinken border open? No, uh, Sterling, I'm not. Uh, the BCN Canadian government say they're basing their decisions on uh, on the border on science, and they are right. not basing it on science. When you consider that half our population here are dual citizens, 85% of which can produce a vaccination, valid vaccination card saying that Mm -hmm. they have been done. Why cannot they go and attend to family 
in in British, like for example, my my wife's mother, ninety four, in North Vancouver, and she used to go there two days a week to attend to her. Can't do sure. it now, so so the other family members have to do it, and she's not mm-hmm. alone there. There's another t- at least two dozen or more families here in the same predicament. And we used to be allies. Now we're acting more like we're North and South bloody Korea. Mm-hmm. So uh, where is the strongest resisting resistance coming from? Is it Olympia or Victoria? It's the Canadian border. I mean, if they looked at Point Roberts and treated us like the other exclaves, of which like Stuart Hyder, and I applaud Stuart Hyder for getting what they have got, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm envious of it. But if it's good enough for them and their 450 people, why isn't it good enough for us and our 900 people? Well, let's take a second. Brian, can you take a second? Because not everyone uh, understands what the deal is up there in Stewart, B.C. and Hyder, Alaska. What kind of deal have they cut that uh, is the envy of Point Roberts? Well, they uh, way back in October, they got special dispensation for their children to go to school uh, cross cross from Hyder into Stewart and go to school, right. and so did uh, Campobello and North Angle, the other exclaves. We got taken off that list by the provincial government, who were into an election mode at that time, and I think they didn't want to deal with it as a potential election issue. So we were on that list originally of one of the four, and we got taken off. Why? What threat are we to anybody? We're the safest place around. Mm-hmm. And it's just an abrogation of, of human responsibility to be, to be humane and, and treat people kindly. I mean, your society, to me, is known by how you treat your most vulnerable and your weakest. And mm-hmm. that government has failed miserably. Uh, we had a chat yesterday with uh, immigration lawyer uh, Les Saunders in uh, Blaine, and he's like he's a dual as well. He's a Canadian who works and lives in the United States. And he was saying that in Washington state, Governor Inslee is one of those leading people uh, in the charge to reopen the border and has personally uh, communicated with the prime minister and the uh, the uh, Bill Blair, the uh, public safety minister, uh, doing everything he can uh, on a personal level, but a state governor has limited influence and impact at a federal level. But uh, And then, of course, the Department of Homeland Security closed the border in conjunction with Canada until the 21st. Uh, that didn't surprise you, I don't expect, but probably another disappointment, right? Well, yeah, but the, the whole military mindset, it's a military mindset. It's not a humanitarian mindset that's driving this whole border, one-size-fits-all attitude. And, and so it's fines, it's fees, it's lockdown, it's bully, it's threatened. What, where does that get you? I mean, nowhere. And Inslee's doing what he can, but he's right. a buddy, a friend of Horgan's. And while he says he's met with Horgan and so forth and discussed it, what is the, no one's published the result of that meeting. In other words, he said he's met and they discussed it. What did they say? What did, what did Horgan resist? Why did he say no? Because Inslee's obviously saying yes. Yeah. Why did Horgan say no? And it's the same as we offered to vaccinate Canadians. And he said no. Why? That's not based on science. 
Good points, Brian. I have to leave it there because I'm fresh out of time and I'm always grateful for yours. Good to speak to you this afternoon. And here's hoping that uh, we get a, a month from now, we have a chance to have a very, very different conversation. And let's hope that between now and that conversation, people are still able to hang in there. And that's that's tough. Thanks for this, Brian. I appreciate your coverage, Sterling. It's always a pleasure. It's Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. It's just absolutely lovely. As we turn our attention to a new poll by Leger and Associates, the poll is entitled Changes in Lifestyle and Habits During the Pandemic. And apparently inside this poll, over two-thirds of Canadians say about uh, governments should not lift all restrictions related to COVID-19. And we're about to find out why so many of us are insistent uh, at that level particularly. Joining us from the Vancouver office of Leger and Associates, it's a pleasure to welcome Heather Owen back to the program. Heather, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you today. Well, and I should mention to our listeners that you're a vice president with Leger here in their Vancouver office. So with as many of us, over two-thirds of us, 69% saying governments should not uh, lift all restrictions related to COVID-19, Heather, I guess then we get into, well, what's okay to lift and what's really important to maintain? Did you break it down into preferred restrictions categories? You know, we didn't for this particular study. We were we were doing a, a bit of a litmus test in terms of how people are feeling about the pandemic and okay. checking in in terms of, of where people's um, sense of concern is and their sense of optimism. And there was some very, very positive uh, trends that we saw in this particular survey. Um, I would say that um, the Canadians and British Columbians in particular are feeling very good right now in terms of, in terms of tracking in the right direction. They're good. feeling... And- Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, 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 it's interesting that you would point out particularly British Columbians as the in groups of Canadians feeling somewhat optimistic about our collective future, mm. because here in B.C., we're much further along in terms of the restart process than almost everywhere else in the country. Is the sentiment the same across Canada? It is not. So uh, about six in 10 Canadians said that they are feeling optimistic today. Uh, and that goes up to seven in ten for British Columbians. So okay. we're, we're feeling better when we look at um, areas like Ontario, where the situation is still quite serious. You do see those numbers more cautious. Um, if we turn our attention to some of the concerning numbers that we that we found in terms of people's con- actual fear of catching the, the virus, mm-hmm. there's still still fifty percent of Canadians think that that it is a chance that they should be afraid of contracting the virus. So we're not out of this. Um, In Ontario, that number is higher. And interestingly, in Atlantic Canada, that number is very high. So there's still a Hmm. lot of concern there. So interesting that, Yes. Heather, I, I keep interrupting you and I do apologize, but but you use, you used a word that really sort of tweaked with me. You used the word afraid. Uh, Since this pandemic began, the messaging from both medical and political leadership has been uh, exercise extreme caution in all your daily uh, lives. And of course, we were all locked down and we were jumping off a sidewalk and running across to the other side if we saw a human being a block away. Uh, And, you know, that behavior 
is still there in a lot of people. A lot of people are still very close to being very afraid. Uh, did you, did you, cause you were talking about how people feel in this survey. Uh, did you get that? Were you able to extract that sentiment, the, the fear rather than caution because there, there are degrees of caution and then there's fear. What did you get out of that? We, we do specifically ask the, ask a question around fear and, and we do find that people are afraid of the virus. It's not just yeah. that they're that they're being careful, that they actually are afraid of contracting, contacting it, contracting it. And uh, they're afraid that their loved ones are going to, to become ill as well. So it is it's definitely an emotional um, reaction. Uh, we've been tracking since last March the self-assessed mental health of Canadians, oh, uh, which has been disturbingly low. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this particular week, we did see it tick up a bit to 35% of Canadians saying that they have excellent or very good mental health, which means that there is a large part of the population that says that their mental health isn't so good. So that, that yeah. is a concern. Um, I will say, uh, pleasingly, a month ago, that number was lower. So we are seeing... Um, we are seeing that the people feeling better um, and and hope that that trend will continue in the in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, but you you did you 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 handled that one really nicely because you said very optimistically. Well, thirty five percent of us feel just we're just dandy. Our our mental health we're just between the ears. We're just a okay. Thank you very much. Which of course means do the math. Sixty five percent of us are going well. Maybe not where I'd like to be right now. And then you dove into this because the, the title of the survey is, uh, I got it right here in front of me, Changes in Lifestyle and Habits During the Pandemic. So now we're talking about people uh, feeling uh, you're locked up or feeling afraid. Just imagine living with extreme caution or flat out fear for 15 months. That's going to wear you down, Heather, no matter how resilient a personality you happen to be. 15 months of exercising extreme caution or worse still, living in fear is hard on the head. So you notice, for example, that we've been drinking a little more, smoking a little more pot, gambling a little more. Talk to us about our behavior by way of reacting to our circumstances. You know, it's such a fascinating question. Um, and, and we're curious to understand how people have changed over time. Because, because if we're not in people's homes and actually, you know, uh, looking at their scales and, and, uh, and checking out their recycling, then we don't necessarily know what's going on. So these are self-reported numbers. Yeah. Um, and we, we asked one overall question that I thought was really interesting. We said, overall, if you compare yourself to how you were before the pandemic, considering health, finance, lifestyle. How are you doing? Are you better or are you worse? Mm-hmm. 30% of Canadians said that they're worse off in some way, that they're, wow. that they're not doing as well. So I think as we get into the recovery phase of the pandemic, we're going to have to come to grips of where we are today and then how do we move forward. And, and to your point, there have been um, there's been increased increased use of alcohol, yep. increased use of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, Canadians uh, say that they've gained 
Uh, 40% of Canadians say that they've gained weight during the pandemic. And we actually were able to drill down that the average amount of weight gain is 16 pounds. So a good opportunity to get people out and active again. Um, People, some people say they're exercising more. Some people say they're exercising less, but it's, we're not necessarily coming out robust. And, and, and I think that that's something that we're going to have to take a look at as a community too. How do we get back to where we were before? And uh, by the way, you were talking about BC being sort of at the tip of the spear in terms of the recovery and the restart. We should also point out that the province of Quebec is going to full green mode on July 1st. So they're not very far behind us as well. And of course, they've got people at hockey games. We don't have people at sporting events here in BC yet. So there's a bit of a race there, I suspect. Uh, Let's talk about the sense of optimism, Heather, that you were talking about. Again, not universal and not necessarily the same among different age groups. Can you break that down for us a little bit, please? Absolutely. So uh, as I said a little bit earlier on, six in 10 Canadians say that they're feeling optimistic about the coming year. And in BC, that number goes up to seven in 10. It goes up to to 69%. Uh, We have noticed that that the pandemic is affecting different age groups differently. And um, I, for this particular topic, um, the middle age group, that 35 to 54 year olds, were less likely to say that they were optimistic. Oh, okay. uh, maybe, maybe because they have children at home or, and, and parents do tend to be quite protective of their families. It may be that they're, they're balancing um, elder care responsibilities. It's, it's hard to say why, um, but we, we saw that young people, uh, are feeling very optimistic and they're they're uh, they're ready for for the change and they're 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 ready to, to um, embrace what's coming next. Nice to have you with us this uh, gorgeous Tuesday afternoon. Heather Owen is with us from the Leger Group. She is vice president with the Vancouver office, and they've just released a new survey uh, talking about, well, our habits and our sentiments of the uh, during the pandemic. The official title of the survey is Changes in Lifestyle and Habits During the Pandemic. And Heather, we didn't get to the part about the American component because you compared and asked all of these questions of Canadians and then stacked our responses up against uh, questions, similar questions questions asked of Americans. And we'll get to how we stack up against the next door neighbors in a little bit. But we did open up the phone lines and Dave wants to join the conversation. So let's start there. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. Um, As far as myself, the pandemic hasn't really affected me. My lifestyle and everything I do hasn't changed, but it's changed for a lot of people I know. Okay. Um, Some numbers there, but the numbers I want to throw out right now are currently in BC. There's 99.9 Nine eight percent of the population does not have COVID because there's only 1,200 people right now. That's right. And 97% of the total population of BC hasn't had COVID. So you, know, you got a greater chance of getting in a car accident these days than getting COVID or coming across something with COVID. So I think everybody should just chill out and carry on as usual because I think it's about time. 
Well, what, and you know, a lot of people feeling that way, a lot of people pretty fed up with, uh, with the, the limitations and restrictions. But of course, in the case of BC day, we're lucky because all of this stuff really changes. We're in phase two, but that's only another a week or so. And then we go to phase three on July 1st, and that'll really loosen things up a whole lot. And I think allow a lot of people who are still feeling pretty boxed in to breathe a little more deeply. But I think that the key uh, is the, is the vaccine. Uh, it, you're, you're pointing to to very good metrics in terms of large numbers of population who don't have COVID. And the way we stay that way is to continue the rate of vaccination. And here in British Columbia, Heather, we're uh, not ahead of the pack, but we're right at the, the vanguard of Canadians who are now double vaccinated. And now here in B.C., we're actually vaccinating more people with second shots on a daily basis than we are with first shots. And that's a good place to be right now. It absolutely is. In a different study uh, that I was looking at this morning, I saw that that um, 96% of British Columbians that we surveyed actually intend to be vaccinated. So that is just oh, okay. a remarkable number. It's uh, it's it's so inspiring to think that 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 um, that the communities come together and embrace this 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 option, which in so many jurisdictions, especially the U.S has been more of a debate. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, back to the behaviors, because you talked about how uh, many of us uh, over the last 15 months have sort of fallen off the exercise wagon. Uh, maybe it's uh, ha- not having access to the gym on a regular basis. And that, again, isn't as much a problem here in B.C., but a lot of it just it, it's the times. And a lot of people have just fallen out of their routines. And as you pointed out in your survey, people are drinking more, they're smoking more cannabis and they're gambling more. And we don't have casinos to go to yet that's coming up in a couple of weeks so where i guess it's all online then or lotteries or both what's the deal what do they tell you about where they're blowing all their gambling dollars mm-hmm. so we we had uh 11 of canadians said that they're spending more on lottery tickets and then about six or seven percent of canadians said that they're um uh doing online sports betting or online okay. gambling now, how about the Canadian-American comparison? So I didn't even realize that once we started doing some homework on your appearance with us, that you had done such an extensive survey that you were able to compare the uh, the, the present situation in the States with Canada. And how do we stack up? Well, interestingly, uh, we think that we've gained more weight than our American counterparts. Um, that, that was probably the biggest spread in terms of difference, with 39% of Canadians saying that they put on weight and only 26% of Americans. Hmm. Uh, w- when we got into questions around consumption of beer and alcohol and, and consumption of cannabis, we were... Um, Actually, Canadians were doing a little bit more of that too. Not not as extreme a, a gap, but um, but our self reporting of those behaviors is uh, is more now. Mm. Whether or not it's more overall, because Americans do tend to be more of a consumption culture, yes. um, it's it's hard again for us to say because we're not in people's homes uh, looking at their scales and their recycling bins. So it's um, it it's our self reported behavior. Sure. Now, how about the sense of optimism that you described to us from uh, Canadians earlier, Heather? Do Americans share it as well? They do. Uh, they do indeed. Um, although I don't think that they are as optimistic uh, in terms of in terms of the change. 
um, remember that they're uh, remember that they're not specifically vaccinating at the same rate. Right. So, fifty nine percent of Canadians said that they are optimistic about the future, and in the U.S., that number was forty seven percent. Interesting. Now I'm going to change gears because I've got literally 45 seconds, but there's the big surprise element buried deep in this survey. You wanted to know how we thought about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. What did Canadians tell you about the new administration in Washington? Oh, it's always fascinating when you have uh, Canadians commenting on U.S. politics, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I am just Getting to that page quickly. I, <laughs> I'm I, sorry. I, 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 no, I, that's a sneaky trick at the last, at the very end of the the the, the, the chat to tell you about. Do do we approve in a majority way? Do you think we? Uh, when I look at the way that we ask this question, we actually, um, in terms of approval ratings, ask Americans how they're feeling about about um, Kamala and Biden, and it's it is actually down a little bit overall. Mm. So 49% of Americans say they, they approve, yep. which is, uh, is the first time that it's gone below 50% since he came into office. Another simply outstanding, beautiful afternoon here in Vancouver. I'm Sterling Fox sitting in for Jill Bennett. And a study of school staff here in Vancouver says their risk of developing COVID-19 through contact at school is identical to their risk of catching the virus in the community. The study by researchers from BC Children's Hospital, UBC, and the Vancouver Coastal Health examined COVID-19 infections among teachers and staff throughout the Vancouver district. We're pleased to welcome one of the members of that team to the show this afternoon. Dr. Pascal Lavoie is an associate professor in the UBC Faculty of Medicine's Department of Pediatrics. Dr. Lavoie is also an investigator at BC Children's Hospital. Good afternoon, Dr. Lavoie. Welcome to the show, sir. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, Were you expecting these findings? Were you as surprised by them as many members of the community? And tell us the the modality, the methods involved. Yeah, so we surprised, maybe not, but we we insisted on walking into this study uh, as agnostic as possible because really what we want to do as researchers is describe what's happening and not try to take part into a very hotly debated question. So, um, but it supported the uh, the, liter- the previous literature. What's different with our study is that we we use antibody detection. So there's a blood test to measure uh, prior infections uh, with uh, by COVID among school staff, as you mentioned. And mm-hmm. the, the, those antibody tests can go back uh, up to a year or even more, so they can detect uh, COVID infection way back. And so that also can detect asymptomatic infection. And that has been a concern with uh, other previous studies that, you know, maybe just following cases uh, when they're symptomatic and doing what we call contact tracing was ignoring a layer of asymptomatic transmission that was not detected. Now, did, uh, and I know that you were focused primarily on the grown-ups in this particular study, Dr. Lavoie, but uh, we we're talking about staff, administration, and uh, teachers at the, in, within the school district. Were any children tested a, a, in this process as well? No, we, we chose to uh, keep the children out of this because it's a blood test and, you know, it's 
doing blood tests in children is not sure. as. Uh, but we did look at the entire uh, uh, public health data among all 48,000 students and 7,000 school staff as you, in the Vancouver School District. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we look at COVID cases. So this is cases that have been uh, confirmed or we're talking about viral testing here. This was not an antibody test, but the uh, but the percentage of COVID cases was very much aligned uh, with our serology data. So um, about a little over 1% of students got COVID between September, the beginning of classes in September, uh, up until we measured in March. Uh, okay. For, uh, and then uh, uh, about 1.3% of the school staff, of teachers or school staff that are directly working with students in the classroom st- setting, it was even lower. Uh, it was sorry. It was 1.4 among school staff and 1.3 percent in those who have classroom responsibilities. So mm-hmm. and so we learned from the serology that about 46 percent uh, more school staff had positive antibodies. So those are people that did not know when and how they got COVID, but they got infected in the past. They were asymptomatic. Right. So even accounting for those asymptomatic infection, we find that the rate of infection is exactly the same, as you said earlier in your introduction, it is exactly the same as what we find in the community when we look at age, uh, sex, and geographical match uh, community members. Well, I, I suppose I'm curious as to, uh, and of course we'll ask them directly, but I'm, I'm curious as, you, as to whether you and your team, Dr. Lavoie, have had any feedback from the people for whom the, the survey was conducted, the, the most concerned people in the province since this outbreak began have been teachers, uh, and, yeah. and they've been certainly the most vocally concerned yeah. uh, for their yeah. own personal safety uh, throughout this entire process. Have they had anything to say to you uh, as a group? Since these so, results have been yeah. published, yeah. So these, uh, so the, they were the first person to find out about our result because it was really important that we go back to our participants, study participant first, and they were relieved uh, to find that the uh, rate of infection was low, and mainly because they hear about cases all the time, and we do measure this in our study. So in or in, in addition to blood tests, we did a questionnaire survey, and we asked who is in contact with COVID and when and who got COVID. So 20% of school staff had some contact, some close contact with a COVID case. Mm-hmm. And a high number of them had close contact in the school setting. So it's not surprising. We measure that stress level uh, among school per- uh, staff and per- study participants and a high perceived risk from COVID, but what is actually important is not, uh, yes, the, the, the contact are important, but what's what the final outcome here that we need to measure in order to be able to say our school safe or not is the right. actual infection. And that's what we detect with our sensitive antibody testing. So uh, to give you an idea of um, um, almost 1,700 school staff we enrolled and we did questionnaire on, Mm-hmm. 368 had close contact with COVID cases, either at work or outside work. A large number of them had close contact in in the school setting. 
but only five ended up um, infected by COVID uh, of 368. So we do yeah. measure that high level of exposure. So, so to, for participants to hear the actual proportion or rate of infection was very reassuring. I'll bet. Now, final question to you, Dr. Lebois, and we're very grateful for your time this afternoon. The Vancouver School District Superintendent says it's really important school stays open, not just for learning, but for the social and mental and physical well-being of our kids. Uh, A lot of parents are optimistic that uh, school will resume as normal in September. Uh, Based on these findings, I find it, I, I imagine, I'm asking in a roundabout way, whether you would endorse the reopening of schools in September. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, uh, BC Public Health has been aware of our data uh, for, for some time. We've worked closely with uh, uh, Vancouver Coastal Health. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see, um, as a pediatrician, I talk to colleagues, and uh, there's a, there is a high level of distress among adolescents and children uh, and it's really important to get back in to get them back in the in schools in September, but also to do that in a safe way. And that I think our study data uh, provide additional evidence that we can uh, that in person schooling can safely happen. Well, let's hope uh, that we don't have any strange variants uh, interrupting the recovery and the restart that we're so leaning into these days, Dr. Lavoie. Thank you and your team for your fine work, sir, and thank you for taking a few moments to give us an insight into what you've been up to and great news about school in the fall. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you. It's Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett, Martha and the Vandellas singing about the obvious. We're having a heat wave, and down in the States, it's a really big deal. Temperatures over 50 degrees Celsius, over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Two million-plus people in Texas losing power last week. Too many air conditioners was the reason. The Western grid is under stress. So what does that mean for those of us attached to the Western grid up here in B.C.? So let's find out. It's a pleasure to welcome Morris. Scott from BC Hydro to the show this afternoon with some answers, we hope. Maura, good afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Western grid. Where does BC factor into it? Obviously, we're on the West Coast of North America. We're part of it somehow. How much so, Maura? Yeah, so like you mentioned, there's this intense heat wave that's been going on, um, affecting particularly down south over the past week. And it's Mm -hmm. included the threat of rolling blackouts in some areas, as well as those big outages that you mentioned in Texas. And with the high temperatures predicted here in BC and much of Western North America for this weekend, concerns are obviously being raised about the larger Western grid, which we're connected to and how that's going to hold up. And what we expect really big increases here as the week goes on and the weather gets hotter and hotter and and people in British Columbia are looking for ways to keep cool, which basically means using a lot more air conditioning. Mm -hmm. Um, We really want to assure British Columbians that we're not in the same position as our neighbors to the south. We are able to handle the increase in demand and there won't be any issues with their power. Interesting. So, and, and you know, the other part that's it's a little scary too, uh, down when you see starting pictures of the, the uh, southern United States and the after effects already of this extreme heat wave, we're seeing a, a reduced water capacity and reservoirs and lakes that they use to uh, fill up uh, firefighting aircraft. Those lakes, some of them have no water in them. Uh, most of the hydropower 
coming to us here in British Columbia is water fired. It, it's hydropower. It's dams and turbines, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So our system here in BC is predominantly hydroelectric. So like you said, it's dams with big reservoirs behind them. Um, Unlike, again, our neighbors to the south that are experiencing severe droughts, um, in some areas they're seeing the lowest uh, reservoir levels in history uh, this year. We're so fortunate here in BC because our water levels are average, which means we don't have to worry this summer. And it also gives us the ability to help our neighbors down south, if we if we have surplus capacity, we can send, send some power down like we did last week to help them out. Oh, I see. So have do we frequently get requests from uh, the neighbors, uh, other members of the Western Grid uh, looking for uh, extra electrical supply? And, and we're usually able to comply with those requests? That's right. Yeah. So in addition to meeting the needs of our province, our trading subsidiary Power X exports electricity to many of the western states and they did so last week during some of their most challenging hours um actually over a period of several days last week PowerX's exports nearly reached export limits to the u.s so we were sending a lot of power down there which obviously helps um those areas in need but it also helps to keep our rates low here for our customers so there's a benefit on both sides Indeed. So these uh, export limits that you address there, Maura, are they, uh, is that a weekly thing, an annual thing, a monthly thing that we almost hit the threshold of the other day? It's basically how much power is able to transmit through the, the transmission line. So we were basically almost at capacity for what we were sending down there because we had surplus here. So we were able to help out down there, which, like I mentioned, is really beneficial for everyone. Indeed. Now, uh, with all of the uh, warmer temperatures coming, tomorrow's going to be a little bit cooler. A few clouds going to appear and it'll, it'll cool things off a touch. But after that, Thursday and right into and through the weekend, uh, we set a couple of temperature records yesterday. It's expected many more will tumble in the few days ahead, Maura. So from a conservation point of view, what is Hydro t- telling British Columbia users uh, over the next few days? Yeah, so what we're seeing, our load forecast team, obviously, they pay a lot of attention to this. They look out into the future as well as monitor things real time. And like you mentioned, as these temperatures build up over the week, we expect um, demand to get higher and higher and higher. Sure. And primarily driving this is, is air conditioning is a big one, higher use of fans. And then mm-hmm. even refrigeration units in situations like this have to work a lot harder to keep things cool. So we're actually expecting closer to the end of the week, heading into the weekend, we might actually reach near uh, record-breaking levels or record-breaking levels for peak demand um, during the summertime. We are a winter peaking utility, so we do see the highest demand for power in the winter months, but oh, sure. we might yeah. set a summer record with um, these really, really hot temperatures we're expecting this week. And, and, and obviously the increased demand right across the province. Wow. So it's quite possible that besides setting a few weather and temperature records, we could indeed be setting some new electricity demand records in the few days ahead. And again, the idea being just conserve wherever possible and be practical, but to conserve if possible, correct? Yeah. And I mean, you know, I know a lot of people during this time are obviously looking for ways to keep cool and, and kind of ways to save money and not see their their electricity use increase. So there's really easy things you can do. Shading your windows, for example, can block up to 65 percent of the heat from coming into your home. So that helps keep things cool. Uh, ceiling fans and, you know, the stand up fans are a great option. They use about one tenth of the power of an air conditioner. 
Um, for people that are running out this week to go buy air conditioning units, we really recommend the Energy Star ones. They use about 30 to 40% less power, so that will help okay. you save. And then mm-hmm. um, other things like not using the heat generating appliances in your home when you can avoid it really helps. So you can hang your clothes to dry outside instead of using the dryer that that will reduce the heat in your home. And same thing with maybe taking your cooking outside to use the barbecue or Octra using some of those smaller appliances. And you don't have to turn on the oven, which is obviously going to create a lot more heat in your home. Indeed, just filled up the barbecue tank the other day in anticipation of this conversation <laughs> so I didn't look too bad. <laughs> a lot Practical stuff. It's just practical stuff. But again, it, it's all about staying cool. The, the good news here, Maura, is that we've got plenty of power not to worry. Yeah, that, that's the good news. We're really fortunate here. We have this great hydroelectric system that provides us with clean power. And uh, yeah, British Columbians don't have to worry now or at all this summer. We will have enough electricity. Sterling for Jill on this Tuesday afternoon, the eight Canadian NBA players heading to Victoria for the Tokyo Olympics basketball qualifying tournament, which comes up in just a few days. Uh, They're playing on NBA clubs for big bucks. They're heading to Victoria to represent Canada basically for free and for more personal reasons. Here to talk about the big tournament coming into Victoria in just a very few days is former Canadian men's Olympic basketball team member Howard Kelsey back with us to talk a little basketball and to get the the energy level going up for the big show in Victoria. Howard, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sterling. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. It's always good to talk a little basketball. And can you identify for our listeners this afternoon the eight players, Howard, who are currently in Florida? The Team Canada training camp is underway in Florida right now, but it breaks up in a couple of days, and everybody pretty much heading to Victoria by this weekend. Who are the eight NBA stars I was referring to? Off the top of my head, R.J. Barrett, Corey Joseph, Lugan Stort, Andrew Wiggins, Dwight Powell, Trey Lyles, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And there's a quote from Mr. Walker here on this one, and let me just let me just roll it for you. The opportunity to play for my country is not to be taken lightly, and I want to make the most of this. This is what Walker says, and he's, uh, he's of course, with the Pelicans now, and uh, they're, they're pretty jacked up about this. This is, this is huge. So tell us the formula here, the format of the tournament. It starts on July 29th. It goes, uh, June 29th, sorry, Howard, goes right through to 4th of July. How many teams and countries will be involved? and how many will advance to the Olympics? Uh, There are three countries in two pools. So in the Canada pool, which is the most important for us, is China and Greece. And on Greece, we have to thank the uh, Bucks for winning last weekend, although I didn't want to see it where Steve Nash's team lost. But Mm -hmm. that did us a huge favor because that means that Giannis Giannis Antetokounmpo and his two brothers – who are Greek, won't be in Victoria. So that helps Canada tremendously. Uh, I won't go into the details of the tournament in the week, but the most important thing is on Saturday, July the 3rd, the two semifinals, which we would expect Canada to be in, uh, are in the afternoon games. And then there is a final, and the only the winning team in that final will go to the Tokyo Olympics Hopefully on Sunday, July the 4th, Canada comes victorious, and we return to the Olympic Games in men's basketball for the first time since the Sydney Olympics, where we came seventh. And hopefully, uh, we play for two Olympic medals, one in 1976 in Montreal, 
we came fourth and lost to Russia, the mm-hmm. Soviet Union back then. And I was on the team in Los Angeles where we came fourth and lost by six to what was then Yugoslavia. So I think this team has a, a, a capacity to win a medal. Uh, we would be considered now the dream team of Canada with this many NBA players. So it's very no exciting. It's a huge thing for Canada and Victoria. And I think we have to give uh, huge credit to Glenn Grunwald, the CEO, Clint Hamilton, the AD at UVic, and Scott Lake, who helped to finance this for bringing this to Canada and specifically to Victoria. And, of course, Team Canada will be coached by the Toronto Raptors coach, a nurse, and uh, that's never a bad thing. He certainly knows how to win it all. He's got that one under his belt. Tell us about, uh, talk to us a little bit, Howard, about the venue and ticket sales for a moment, because all of a sudden it's coming up fast, and there is more than the odd basketball fan in this corner of Canada. Are there still seats? Uh, well, the venue is the Savon Foods Arena off the top of my head, plus or minus a couple hundred. It's a 7,700-person capacity. Uh, the issue here, which is still in flux because it's up to the uh, health authorities of Canada. Of course. But my understanding is that Clint Hamilton and Glenn Grunwald and the organizers have requested at least at least a 10% capacity flexibility for tickets. So that would mean 10% of 7,700, let's round it up to 800 people, sure. spectators, would be what they're hoping to be uh, allowed to be in. And apparently... They would have to have had their double vaccination, mm-hmm. be COVID-free. So I can't say yet because it's actually a decision of the health authorities of Canada how many spectators get to come in. But the short answer is Save on Foods Arena is where it's going to be. There's going to be six countries. Hopefully Canada is in the semifinals and then the finals. And hopefully we end up victorious. And with the team we have, I would say we should be the favorite. I would agree with that too. By the way, what what about coverage on uh, in media? Will there be uh, will these games be broadcast? The games will be on? televised live. Great. I would send everybody to the Canada Basketball. Just Google Canada Basketball and you .ca, and you can go to the website. It will show you uh, the telecasts. And then, if you want any history on Team Canada, go to our Canadian National Teams Alumni Association www.nbtaa.com, National Basketball Teams Alumni Association.com. But yes, they will be televised. Each game that Team Canada plays, I can't speak for the other countries. Now, the uh, the team, uh, team Canada with Nick Nurse at the helm have yep. been in Florida for the last uh, few weeks getting to know each other and yep. uh, getting to figure out who's going to be on the lineup and who isn't. Of course, NBA playoffs factoring in, the, in that to a certain degree. Uh, they're, they're heading north. They're heading to Canada this week. As I understand it, uh, Howard, they're in town uh, Friday or Saturday this week. They should be arriving in Victoria because they do need time to acclimatize. They also have to satisfy all covid protocols coming back from florida and then the following week it starts off the top of my head on tuesday july 29th and then we will have to come out of our pool our first game is against greece then we play china i'm pretty sure we will win at least one of those two games advance to the crossovers which will be saturday july the third sunday july the fourth for the final so they'll be in in victoria for at least a week which will be normal protocols as would all the other five teams, assumedly. Nobody gets off the plane the night before and plays in a pre-Olympic qualifier. Sure. So uh, what's the buzz in town about all of this? How are the folks in Victoria, are they, they're getting a little excited about all of this world-class basketball right downtown? 
Well, they're very excited. The problem is with the limited capacity, nobody knows who's getting in and sure. what numbers. So that's going to be falling on the British Columbia and the government of Canada. The organizers can't be held responsible for that. So at the end of the day, it's going to be a health decision that determines who gets in. We know the players are getting in. We know the media is getting in. And we know that a hopefully limited capacity. So it will be literally the hottest ticket in town and one of the biggest events that's ever been held in the history of Victoria. But again, who gets the 10% tickets, assuming we get approved for those, becomes a big issue. Certainly does, Howard, and it's going to be kind of fun if they get that approval to watch how those uh, tickets get uh, snapped up and put, and the uh, they won't be for face value, I'm thinking, if they go online, particularly June 29th to July 4th, the Tokyo Olympics Basketball Qualifying Tournament in Victoria featuring Team Canada, coached by Nick Nurse. Going to be an exciting time. Fantastic ball. Howard, thanks very much for this. Great to have you back on the show. You bet, Sterling. Go Team Canada.